This is Renegade's Roundup. Your best source for recaps, info, and discussions about the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Zach. What is up, Hellraisers? It's time for another edition of Renegades Roundup. I'm Zach, and back, as he always is, is Joe. We had kind of a rough outing last week, if you'll pardon the pun, but we're still here to talk about all things Arlington Renegades, breaking down that ball game while also looking ahead to the game against Orlando, and uh, some injury information about the team. And maybe a, a quick discussion on how Cashman Field looks, because I have some thoughts on that. And uh, that and, and a few other things in store for you, all on this episode of the Roundup. Joe, you got a chance to see a game in its entirety. You said you didn't get to see the first game because uh, you had other, other commitments. Right. You finally get to see a game right. in its entirety. What did you make of this team? What did you make of the efforts? Uh, I know it probably wasn't the best example of uh, of the team that uh, that you were hoping for, but uh, you know this is the team that we've got. What do you what do you make of them? Work in progress. I think that's simple think enough. That's they are a work in progress, um, and it's an it's early. It's you know we've only played two games, so a lot of lot of uh, a lot of football left to be played, but. Right now, this the offense has no identity, and they're not going anywhere anytime any any. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. So, unless they can fix the offensive line, and and you know, I hate to say it, but quarterback play, it's not great. So, I'm sure we'll get more into detail with that. But it was you know it was cool watching the game at least. Um, it seemed pretty. High intensity, whatnot. So, uh, yeah, gets my thoughts on that. Yeah, that's that's fair. It, I think what's interesting is we get the Arlington Houston game this past week, and now Houston gets to play host to San Antonio. So they're playing their two Texas rivals back to back weeks. And San Antonio had a really good showing last week against Orlando, which is the team that Arlington's got this week. So. Uh, I think this week will be really telling for how the South Division is truly stacking up just based on how Houston performs against San Antonio and how we perform against Orlando this week. So there's still, uh, like you said, a lot of football left to be played, and hopefully that work in progress continues this week. But let's go ahead and take a look around the league as we bring you all into cylinder number one. It's going to be a more Arlington-focused look around the league, starting with some injury updates that we've got for you all. The starting offensive lineman, Teton Saltz, has been put on the injured list, and the team went and signed offensive lineman Darda Lee, who was reportedly on the uh, training camp roster and was one of the cuts that was made as the team went down to 51. And Joe, this is something that we were talking about when we looked at the 50-man, 51-man roster, was there's a lot of people on, on the reserve list that are probably considered skill players, and there wasn't a whole lot of depth on the line. 
And, you know, the very first time an Arlington lineman goes down, they have to go and sign somebody that they previously cut. So I think that in and of itself is pretty telling as to where the team's priorities were. But perhaps they knew that they had some people like this waiting in the wing, and that's why they didn't put them on the actual uh, reserve list, why they didn't put them as as a reserve because they felt like they could just hire them as a free agent in a spot situation like what we've got right now. Yeah, I know exactly. And you you know, will this work? On paper it doesn't sound like a great plan, you know, take the bare minimum offensive lineman and then have someone ready to be signed whenever uh one of them goes down, but you know, maybe Dardley is a step up from Teton Saltes because, uh, like I said in the intro, offensive line has not been great. So maybe a fresh face will help this line turn its production around. As for um, Dardley, uh, he is a UTEP product, was on the 2021 roster for the UTEP Miners. So he gets to kind of stay. Uh, within the Lone Star State, uh, and he played at Kilgore College before that. So he has kind of worked his way up from JUCO to D1 and now working in the XFL. And as we've talked about so many times with this league, it's one of opportunities. And maybe this uh, 315-pound old lineman from West Texas will get an opportunity and make the most of it. We'll have to wait and see. Exactly, and you know they haven't. It's not just Dardali; they also signed a receiver. Yeah, they did because Rennell Hall had to get put on the injured list, so they actually went out. And honestly, dude, a lot of this roster feels like fragments and pieces of the 2020 BattleHawks roster because this is a this is another familiar face to the XFL, and the last name has me wondering if there are relations to the NFL as well. They signed receiver Caleb Vander Esch, I believe. Cousin. Vander Esch played. Oh, cousin. He's a cousin he? of Leighton Vander Esch, if the name sounds familiar. That's what I. That's what I thought. I thought there ha- that that was too similar to be coincidental, but yeah, um, Caleb Vander Esch played. Um, let me see. He's the yeah. He's a cousin. I'm trying to see where he went to college. I didn't have this stat brought up. Uh, immediately South Dakota South Dakota South Dakota but from San Jose California so again another one of those players that has been traveling to try and make the most of opportunities and maybe he'll make the most of his opportunity with the with the Renegades so we'll have to wait and see but you know when when you make signings like this when when you have signings that happen early in the season slash middle of the season it, it makes you wonder about the depth chart, but it also kind of makes you a little bit excited to see some fresh blood in there because as competitive as this league is, all it takes is one good game from somebody. And they're on the roster for the rest of the season. They're on the radar of NFL scouts. For, for a player like Darta Lee, for a player like Caleb Vanderesh. This is their time. This is their moment. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens for them. But um, we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes yeah. against the Guardians. So, I, I feel oh, like... Go ahead. Yeah. 
no, I was, I was, I was just finishing with the thought that I, I feel like this is a good game to showcase those opportunities for certain players. Just based on how we've seen Orlando play, I think this is the best type of game for someone like Lee and Van Der Esch to make their presence felt on the roster. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that 100%. Side note, uh, we could write for the Dallas Morning News. They don't know how to get their facts right. They said Van Der Esch played at South Dakota State with a big old picture that says South Dakota in red and white. And if you know anything about, know. Uh, about South Dakota football, you'd know South Dakota State, pretty good program, pretty good FCS program, just one national title. So, yeah, good job, Dallas Morning News. Just want to shout them out there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, <laughs> you, you and I have, have a combined uh, expertise on the XFL and with small-time programs coming from a small time program that's been in the mid majors for freaking forever uh we're just more accustomed to that type of, of play we're experts we're we're we're, we're i mean yeah <laughs> i would kind of self-declare myself an expert there was a time when i had every member school of the southland conference and every member school of the sunbelt conference memorized because that those were like the two leagues that i kept up with the most now you can do the wax and that's so. where uta went <laughs> Man, that whack is truly yeah. whack. I'm not going to get into too many details, but you've basically got an East Division that is the state of Texas. It's just, it's weird, man. It it's is so weird. indeed. Well, back to the XFL, Cashman Field, baseball field in Vegas, the home of the Vipers, and uh, they had 6,023 fans in attendance of a max of 9,334, so they filled about 64% of the stadium. Uh, and Zach, you said you had some thoughts on this. I, I did, and, and and I'm really torn on this. I'm really conflicted because you want an intimate atmosphere with the XFL. You you want it to be something that the fans can feel a part of, and I I don't feel like we got that with the first game um, at Choctaw. I don't feel like we got that at Lumen Field, the home of the Seahawks, where the Sea Dragons are playing. Um, Audi Field kind of gave us a little bit of that, and I really feel like we're going to feel it at the Dome. The entire lower bowl is sold out. The upper deck is now open for season ticket membership. I really feel like as far as fan bases go, the the fan bases to beat are going to be St. Louis and San Antonio. But I really don't know how many other stadiums are going to provide that type of intimate atmosphere that Cashman was able to provide. 6,023 as raw numbers is the lowest attended football game in the XFL to date. But if their max capacity is just over 9,000, then yeah, they had almost 65% of their seats filled in. And I defy any other stadium in the XFL to have that kind of attendance percentage. So it's really, really tough just looking at the raw data to think, okay, did the city of Vegas really show out? Because their population is definitely larger than 6,023. Oh, yeah. did, did Vegas actually show out, or is it a byproduct of the smaller environment they're playing in? And that's, therein lies the question. It, with a maximum capacity of 9,334, that stadium should have been full to the brim if Vegas was truly behind their team. Um Man, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 they should have packed. I mean, I, you know, the naysayers and haters 
are coming for the XFL. They are. And we I see it on Twitter. They and are. Yep. Gosh, and I hope this doesn't get me in trouble, but man, they might have a point at sometimes, man. Like uh just from attendance uh, attendance at different games from TV ratings um and and people are trying to spin it, but you know it's football. It's football in America. This thing should be getting millions of views. And millions, maybe at least a million or close to a million. Um, the football stadium should be, you know, maybe not sold out, but pretty packed. And, I mean, when I was watching the Houston game, there were a lot of empty seats. A lot of empty seats. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know what they have to do. I don't know if people are just so set in their ways with the NFL, but at this point, you know, you got to take a field like Cashman Field, and you got to make that your home, and that's something Vegas did not do in their first game. Now, was it a Thursday well, night game? Was I, it were they a Thursday night game? No, they were Saturday. It was Friday. Yeah, it was Saturday. A Friday it was Saturday. Saturday game, so yeah, game yeah, used like a because see Thursday there was like hardly anybody in Seattle. But it's a Thursday night, man. It's school night. So I, I get it. I get it. But, uh, yeah, Saturday weekend, you no excuses. You should be packing your stadium. So, Well, I also think that the stadium itself probably didn't help itself. And, and I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can because I truly believe – that the XFL is a league of oh, opportunity and I and I really I really believe in their mission statement. I really believe in the product. Um I just also feel like there were certain things about the field, like the actual field at Cashman, that indicated maybe they weren't as ready as they thought they were. There were tire tracks and and the pop-up scaffolding for the ESPN broadcast crew, the you know, less than 10 foot of space between the upright and the wall. There there were just certain aspects of the field and the playing conditions. You should take a look at the DC Defenders injury list. They've got like 10 or 12 players on their injury report and about five or six of them that did not practice today. And a lot of that is a byproduct of players getting hurt on the playing surface at Cashman Field. Yeah, you got to have a good so surface. I, I really... I really think that they that they need to make some improvements before Vegas's next home game because if the attendance numbers continue to stay low like this and if the competitive nature of the game isn't enough to draw in the viewership then you know Vegas as a as a host city could be in for a little bit of trouble. Uh, I've already seen certain factions of the internet petitioning for them to move to San Diego mm, or something that like that. Be a bad move. So honestly, surprised they put it in Vegas, I mean, not San Diego. San Diego was yeah. I mean, they were the in San one Diego, just like the AAF with San Antonio. They packed because they missed the Chargers. Mm-hmm. So they did. They did, and then and then they they're you know they're going off of the alliance's attendance numbers from a couple of years ago and saying. Why not play it in Salt Lake or play it in Arizona? You know, the state of Arizona has three indoor football wow, league teams. I didn't know that. They've got the yeah, they've got the Duke City Gladiators, the Northern Arizona Wranglers, and the, the Arizona, Arizona Rattlers. Rattlers. Yep. So they've got three. They've got three indoor football teams 
so that the state of Arizona can keep watching football after the Cardinals are done. So there are other venues, there are other states, other regions that are hungry for football. And I'm not saying that a knee-jerk reaction needs to happen and you need to transfer the team after one season or something like that. But I do think it's worth examining if Cashman is sustainable. That's all I'm going to say. Fair enough. Real quick before we head on to the next cylinder, here's a look at the standings. In the north, D.C. and St. Louis, both at 2-0. and oh, They're headed for a great matchup. Going to definitely want to... Oh, I'm so Mario, looking forward to that game. want to watch that one for sure. Meanwhile, Seattle and Vegas, both at 0-2. Not looking great right now for Ben DiNucci up in Seattle. Uh, in the south, Roughnecks 2-0 after taking down the Renegades. Renegades at 1-1. Brahma's at 1-1 as well. And then the Guardians 0-2. And, oh, the Guardians might be uh, the worst team in the league. I'm not kidding. They're 0-2. They're they're 0 and 2, most likely on the way to 0 and 3. I will say though, out of the three 0 and 2 teams that we've got in the league right now, Seattle looks yeah, like the I, best I, I, I of the 0 and 2 yep. teams. They they play the hardest. They have the most opportunities. It comes down to the wire. The BattleHawks, in my opinion, should be 1 and 1. They they should not have beaten San Antonio. San Antonio should be 2 and 0 right now. Yeah, and they're not. And I think I think. For the Brahmas, it was a great rebound game to show what they're capable of, taking care of business 30-12. to 12. Um, I think that was a, a much better example of what San Antonio is capable of than what they showed against the Battlehawks. So I am really looking forward to, to that game between St. Louis and D.C. That is going to be probably, at the way things are shaping up, um, that, that could end up being the North Division I, Championship yep. game. And I had I had Vegas winning the North, and that is looking like a stone-cold pick right now based on how they've been playing the last couple of games. So uh, that is definitely a game to watch out for. All right, those are some thoughts from around the league, taking a look at standings, comments on Cashman, and some Renegades injury updates. Let's go ahead and rev up our cylinders for cylinder number two. Cylinder number two is just an examination of last week's game. Final score, 23-14 to in favor of Houston, who are now 2-0, and as we mentioned. The Renegades, 1-1. and And Joe, just based on the statistics alone, it looked like a tale of two halves again. In, in, week, well, in week one, Arlington was able to have a strong defensive showing in the second half. And in the second half of this game, they were leading 14-11 going into the third. And then didn't score again. Yeah, I want to know uh, when the 2020, uh, 2022 Texas Longhorns decided to put on some Renegades jerseys and <laughs> switch out at halftime because that's exactly what this felt like. Uh, you know, all the offense in the first half and then absolutely nothing in the second half. Are we sure that wasn't Steve Sarkeesian on the sideline and not Bob Stoops? Uh or are we sure it was Bob Soup's on the sideline and not Steve Sarkeesian? That's that's the question. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with this offense, man. It's ridiculous. And, the, you know, don't blame the defense. Defense giving up two what two touchdowns in the second half? I'm sorry. That should win you a ball game. If your offense can score, you have ten empty possessions, seven punts. Yep. 
That's pathetic. Yep. It's pathetic. And yep. I am sick of watching this team. And it, it starts with the line. I told you the offensive line has to get better. And by God, they – so you can't run the ball. And when you can't run the ball, then you're gonna to have to rely on your quarterback's arm. And oh Lord, did did Drew play? It's 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 one of those games where it's like good, but ugh. Like he was 50 to 29 for two touchdowns and 120 yards. They also had an interception. He also lost a fumble, and they were both crucial turnovers. So and but uh, you know big number here. Like I said, offensive line Zach five sacks. Are you kidding me? Five sacks. Yeah, so five sacks given up, 38 yards lost. Taking a look at the stats from XFL.com, there were four players that had rushing attempts in the ballgame. 19 attempts for 43 yards. So the ground attack put up 43 yards. The O-line gave up 38 yards in sacks. That is a net of plus five yards on the ground. Oh. You you cannot win ball games that way. You cannot win a football game on five net rushing yards. Not even Texas Tech does that, and they are an air raid offense that does a few draw plays here and there. But they've got a sound offensive line that minimizes their sacks for the most part because it's a run and gun style. You need to have athletic O linemen, but it's it's just really really tough to defend five net rushing yards i don't have a strong defense for it the only antidote that you can have for something like that is if you've got a really good quarterback somebody that's a mahomes type quarterback like what texas tech used to have and druplet is no pat mahomes only 120 passing yards averaged four yards per completion he did have a long of 26, and he had a couple of nice passing touchdowns to players like uh, Lawan Whittingham, who we'll get to in a little while. Um, tight end by committee again, with Becker getting the other touchdown out of the tight end position. But, you know, aside from that, the, there wasn't a whole lot of productivity. In fact, there was no productivity in the second half. Like we mentioned, you put up all 14 points in the second quarter, and then you don't score again. You know, I, I like you said, I don't think the defense has anything to really hang their hat about. They held Houston to fewer points than they put up last week. But when you're not matching them stride for stride, when you're punting seven times in a ball game, it's hard to match those strides. Agreed. So now begs the question, is Plitt it? Or do we need to look at Kyle Sloter? Because everyone thought Kyle Sloter was hurt. Apparently, they just thought Plitt was better. And honestly, at this point, give USFL all all USFL quarterback, put him in. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose right now? You you really don't have anything to lose. And here here's my here's my thought. If on the off chance, the very off chance that Sloter is hurt, let's yeah. just. For, let's just for sake of argument say that maybe he is nursing an arm injury or an ankle injury or or what have you right and they're just not publicizing it if he is nursing something i think one more week against an inferior opponent like orlando is acceptable i think plitt could beat unless or, they lose to orlando i think plitt could beat orlando 
I think I okay. think Plitt can beat Orlando. I I think he can too. I hope he can, but I, I I'm pretty sure he can. So uh, there there's I I didn't uh, have a whole whole lot of info on Orlando going into the season, but just based on what I've seen the first couple of weeks, their secondary is pretty decent. They picked off Silvers a couple of times in week one, but their offense they they much like us have no identity. It could be a very low scoring game if Plitt plays. Uh, I think it could be like I, I could I could see it being like a sixteen to six ball game. I am definitely taking the under oh. if if Plitt ends up playing. But if we do need to go to Sloter, I am definitely looking for a big game from Sal Canella. Those two had great chemistry at New Orleans. And I I still believe that that is a one-two punch that is going to electrify this offense. Yeah, Canelo's I don't the... Think, go, go ahead. Go, I, I don't think he's the be-all, end-all. I don't think he's going to be the thing that, you know, makes or breaks this uh, this team. But I think the connection that the two of them have is really solid. Canelo's the best tight end in the league right now, hands down. Hands down. Uh, just the verticality he yeah, has in his hands. I mean, you know, he had four four targets, four receptions, 38 yards. He had no touchdown, but, you know, sometimes it's just by getting your team in position to score the touchdown. So, you know, we just got to – I'm not even going to say – it's not even targeting him more because he got four targets, which was tied for second on the team. But it's just about uh, – excuse me. It's just about – Getting him the ball, getting your other receivers the ball, and then, I mean, I was ready to throw Plitt to the Wolves after the first pass of the game because that was the pick. <laughs> so right. I, it's it's right. it's going to be an interesting decision for Bob Stoops to have this week uh, because you're right, like we said, Orlando not the greatest, but uh, you know this could be the game Plitt needs to get his confidence back. And so, like I said, interesting uh, decision for Bob Stoops. Well, I think the other thing that's that's interesting when you're looking at at the stats that are available online, um, Arlington had 15 pass completions, but it looks like Houston only had 14 pass completions. So it's not like Houston outpassed us. By by a very large margin, fourteen completions for one hundred and seventy three yards. Silvers was only fifty percent tossing. The big difference, he only got sacked once, and he had a completion that was a long of forty yards, whereas the longest completion we got was twenty six yards. So, even if his percentage was still low, and even if his number of completions was still low, Silvers was doing enough to move the offense in the right direction right and then and then the 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 rushing attack was for 77 yards so there's there's about a 60 uh, i would say a 60 to 65 yard differential in rushing yards that could be one of the big difference makers in the ball game you know they they outgained us 242 to 125. These are just the numbers. They got more first downs, 12 to 10. They had more rushing first downs, 5 to 3. They had a better third down efficiency, 54% to 40%. Um, fewer interceptions, obviously. 
Um, so there, there's just certain aspects of the game. They got a rushing touchdown. We didn't. There's just a few aspects of the game that were very much decided by Houston. But at the same time, I feel like are things that are very much correctable with some some reps and some training and some practice. Agreed. So, yeah, I guess we wait and see for next week's game. And we'll have the preview there in a sec. But we got to highlight Lawan Winningham. And, man, I was ready. I was all I had it all set at halftime. I was like, we're going to call this episode. All, all we do is Winningham. It's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> and then they didn't do anything in the second half. But Winningham, I mean, forced, what, two fumbles? Caught, caught one of the touchdowns? I believe I believe so, and yeah, he he had one of the two touchdown catches, and he made a, a big special teams play. I know he had at least one forced fumble. I believe he had the second, or he was involved in the play on the second. But uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I'm just going to go ahead and bring us oh. into our player of the week profile. It's time for cylinder number three. So cylinder number three. Obviously, Lawan Winningham had himself a really, really big game. And it's not going to show very much on the statistics. When you're taking a look at like the player numbers for the Renegades, he didn't register a rushing attempt. As far as receiving goes, he had the one catch that was the four-yard touchdown catch on three targets. So he didn't get looked at a whole lot, but he still had the hustle plays. He still had the effort that was involved. He had a winning mentality, which is something that this team really, really needs. And if he keeps those hustle plays on offense and on special teams, I can see him being a really dangerous receiver up there with Jordan Smallwood and Sal Canella. He is like establishing himself as one of those primary receivers that's going to be seeing a lot of playing time just because of the heart and the hustle that he's displaying, especially here in week two. Saying Winningham has the winning mentality. I see what you did there, Zach. Hey, uh, I, I got to I gotta take the puns where I can get them, even if it's by accident. <laughs> no, and that's the beauty of football. You don't have to score touchdowns to be an impactful player. Now, in true. Luan's case, he did score a touchdown, but man, the two, the forcing the one fumble, being a part of the second fumble, um, both on special teams, I'm pretty sure too. Yes, that 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 flips the game around, and that's something that offenses need so they can capitalize on it. And like we said, our offense didn't. But you know, you need guys like that. You need nitty gritty guys that are going to get in there, get dirty, get their hands, you know, get their hands dirty, punch the ball out. And that's exactly what Luan did, and, you know, it worked out this week. And so, gosh, you know, you, you kind of you, you hope you can play with a team that has this much uh, intensity as uh, Winningham has. So, uh, you know, kudos to him, and I, I kind of feel bad that they weren't able to get a lot out of it. Well, what's what's funny is uh, I'm, I'm trying to go back through the the. I think they scored one. They scored one time? I think it might have been so, a field field goal. No, I don't know. So uh, what I, what I'm looking at here in the second in the second quarter is a fourth and eight on the Arlington 49. Marquette King punts it down to the Houston 11. Will likely 
takes it to the Houston 23, fumbled, forced by number 11, Lawan Winningham, recovered by Sal Canella. And then six plays later on Arlington's possession, it leads to a touchdown. And then the uh, two-point conversion afterwards was no good. But then, let me see, this one here in the second quarter, Arlington went three and out. Fourth and fourth and sixth. Uh, 53 yards, Will likely runs it for 24 yards. Fumbled, forced by Lawan Winningham, recovered by Ortiz. And again, the next possession, four plays, leads to a touchdown to Becker, and this time they do get the two-point conversion. So both of Arlington's scores came off of turnovers, and both of those turnovers were forced by Winningham. Yeah, so there you go. He was probably the most impactful player of the game for either side, if we're being honest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and and he really kind of saved the day for special teams, if if we're being honest, because um, Russelino had his first missed field goal, but if we mm-hmm. give him a little bit of grace, it was a 55-yarder. And That's it wasn't the, a miss. He It was short, so... Right. So it, it, it was... It, it, it was... That that one was is a tough one to, to pin on him, but, I mean, honestly, dude, I love Marquette King. I love his approach to the game. I love his attitude. Mm-hmm. I don't love when he basically is leading the team in any kind of stats category. <laughs> he had a long of 54. That's awesome. He averaged 46.3 yards per punt. He had seven punts for 324 yards. Those 324 should be passing yardage numbers from an yeah. offense that is designed the way that Arlington's is. I just, I'm sorry. Yeah. I Like I said, I love Marquette King, but, you know, for, for that many punts to happen and for that many opportunities for fumbles to happen, yes, I'm glad that Winningham made the plays that he did, and I'm glad that Arlington's offense is able to convert turnovers into points. Points off turnovers is going to be a big deal. They've they've done it in both of their weeks with the pick sixes in week one and now these touchdowns off of fumbled punts. But it's not sustainable. Seven punts in a game is not sustainable. No. No, but if, if you got Winningham running down there knocking balls loose all the time, who knows, man? Maybe, maybe it is. <laughs> I mean, he he is one of those players that's making the most of his opportunities. I sound like a broken record, but... He is he is not opposed to being a special teams player because he knows that special teams is a is a big part of the game. And I, I don't see any or, or very many statistics for him as far as de- defensive or special teams goes from his time at Central Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But the, this guy is a hustler. And uh, I love looking at the at the hustle numbers that he had in 2021. Um, that's one of those uh, abbreviated seasons where they only played, I want to say, six or seven games. But in that shortened season, he had 42 catches for 700 yards, a long of 80, and five touchdowns. So he comes from a, a smaller school, um, in Central Arkansas, they play in the Atlantic Sun now. They used to play in the in the Southland, um, but he's making a name for himself in the XFL. And 
you take a look at what um, what the Cowboys kick returner has done after his time in the USFL. I forget his name off the top of my head. Turpin. All all you need is an explosive burst on special teams, and the next thing you know, you've got an NFL contract. Exactly, and so that's exactly you know like we said, Winningham's making most of his opportunities, and hopefully this coming week when we play Orlando. He gets to make some even. He gets to make even more of his opportunities, and maybe he scores two touchdowns. Maybe he forces four fumbles. You know, double it. I mean, I, I would. I would love to see Arlington continue to do well in the turnover battle. That was something I mentioned in last week's game: is that they needed to win the turnover battle, and Winningham single-handedly basically helped us stay even with it. We broke even with Houston. Three turnovers apiece. A little sloppy. But I think Houston's three turnovers shows that they're vulnerable. And I think our three turnovers are definitely ones that can be cleaned up if Plitt can, you know, spend a little more time in the film room and make a little better decisions uh, out there on the field. Or if we go to Sloter, I don't think he had very many interceptions with uh, New Orleans. So either way... I feel like there's still room for growth, and this team is going to reduce the number of turnovers they commit while staying consistent in the number of turnovers they're forcing. The defense is still the bright spot of this team, the defense and the special teams. Well, let's let's talk about next week's game now. Let's move on to the fourth cylinder because you know I'm ready to talk about uh, the Orlando Guardians game coming up here. Yes, sir. We'll get right into it as we introduce the game of the week, Arlington's game of the week, with cylinder number four. So as we mentioned, the the Guardians, they have really struggled offensively. They, They fell pretty mightily in week one against Houston and they had their home opener had a pretty decent showing as far as the fan base goes, but they did not have a very good performance against San Antonio. It was, I want to say 13 to six at the break. So they were kind of competitive at halftime and then San Antonio just busted it open in the second half. And what I find really funny about that is the, the XFL only takes 10 minute breaks for halftime they they only they only go to the locker room for just a few minutes to make adjustments and yet in two weeks ago the the game two weeks ago against Vegas it seemed like Arlington's defense turned it around in last week's game against Houston it looked like Houston's offense had turned it around in this week's game uh this last week's game for San Antonio it looked like their offense turned it around I don't know what it is about the shorter half times. Maybe they're just being more efficient with the communicating that they're doing. But I think it's pretty obvious that there are teams out there that are making halftime adjustments. And I think this is one of those games. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. And, I mean, look at the quarterback play. How was Paxton Lynch a first-round draft pick? That's what I want to know. He has been now he has been benched in every league imaginable: the CFL, the USFL, the XFL, the NFL. He's been benched in every single league, and it's incredible. I don't I don't get it. And you know, sorry Orlando, because your backup's DeAndre Francois, and he's not great shakes either. So 
it looks like they rely heavily on the run. Uh, Jermaine Martin had 46 yards against San Antonio, um, who's not a slouch on defense. That's actually pretty decent for him. And when it comes to, you know, like you said, you mentioned that secondary picking off Silvers, so that's something that uh, the Renegades are going to have to watch out for, whoever is playing quarterback, um, to make sure not to get you know, caught in that trap and, and, and take care of the ball. Yeah, there were no interceptions for Orlando's defense against Jack Cohn. He had a pretty clean game, but for for Lynch and Francois to combine to go 15 of 32 for 87 passing yards, we thought Drew Plitt was kind of anemic this past week. That is just... I, I don't know any other adjectives for that except for bad. 87 passing yards is just it's not good even in the indoor football league you can get higher passing yards than that and it's half the field length so i just i i do think that the ground attack is going to be what orlando tries to to play the most players like martin and taylor um they combine for 77 out of their 100 team rushing yards so for arlington to win i really feel like it's going to be about the front seven. I think if they can win at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage, and if the secondary is able to match up one-on-one with the receivers, then that frees up your linebackers to pursue the quarterback, get some sacks, pursue the running back, keep them from getting a significant gain. Um, I'm really looking for players like Payne to have a big performance in this one. Yeah, me too. And, like we said, this is probably going to be a low-scoring game, uh, depending on how the Renegades offense comes out and plays. But I really think the Renegades defense is going to have a field day with this Orlando offense. So I'll be interested to see you know, how Payne plays. I'm interested to see if Hawkins gets an interception as well, um, just because based on the quarterback play we've seen from Orlando. Yeah, I, I haven't been super impressed with how Orlando has, has played offensively but like i said their defense does make me just a a little bit nervous not not a whole lot but considering how interception prone plit has been he's thrown a pick in both of the games played so far this season um if he starts there's definitely the potential there for an interception to occur but at the same time Orlando has only put up 12 points in both of their ball games. They lost 33 to 12 against Houston in week one, and they lost 30 to 12 against San Antonio. I really don't think Arlington's offense is as prolific as either San Antonio or Houston right now. So I don't see them putting up 30. I would like, I would like to see them put up 20 and I would like to see if, Arlington's defense is as stout as I'm touting them to be. I feel like they are. And so I'm I'm hoping that we will get something in the ballpark of a I want to say 20 I'll, I'll say I'll say 21 22 to 9. That's kind of the ballpark I'm thinking of. 22 to 9. I'm thinking even lower than that, man. I'm thinking I'm thinking like 15 to 10. So you're taking 15, 10. 
I'm I'm hoping we get a defensive score or a special team score. I I really want to see those pieces of the team continue to shine because we got two pick sixes in week one. We got 14 points off of special teams turnovers week two. Uh, I I really feel like we're gonna we're gonna have some more special teams and defensive productivity, but. I definitely see the potential there for a low scoring game. So I'm hoping I'm hoping you're wrong, but there's a very good chance you won't be. Yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong too. <laughs> but a win would be a win. Moving moving to two and one and staying competitive in this South Division is gonna be important. Arlington needs to win the games that they are supposed to win. So that that means games like this one. That I think they need to sweep Orlando. I think they need to win at home against Houston. I think splitting with San Antonio would be okay, but they really probably need to sweep San Antonio if possible. And they're playing them back-to-back weeks in a couple of weeks. So, like, if they've got their number and they've got the momentum, it's possible. But this... South race is already shaping up to run through the state of Texas and Arlington needs to win this game to stay in that race. I agree. You got to go two and one. You cannot go to one and two, especially against a team like Orlando. Right. Oh gosh. If they lose to Orlando, we are, we are trying to put out fires now. Uh, It's the ship is sinking. The ship has just broken in half. It's sinking. Jack and Rose are on the bow. We we will we will have a very <laughs> a very frank and very undiplomatic discussion if we end up falling to the Guardians who are struggling to find their identity even more than we are, I think. I think our identity is built in our defense and the defense will find a way to win like they did against Vegas. That's what I'm hedging my bets on. If I was a betting man, which I'm not. I need to not we'll be s- a betting man at this point. Uh <sighs> I'm definitely definitely a drinking man. I'll put that out there. (laughs) Hey, there you go. And hopefully we don't need need a lot of that drinking to cope with the game. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully it's celebratory drinks, not, oh my God, we lost to Orlando drinks. (laughs) Celebratory post-game drinks, most likely in the future. But uh, not going to count chickens before they hatch. Just going to go and do my job and uh, try to try to enjoy the atmosphere and enjoy the moments while I'm able to. So I'll, I'll be at Choctaw on Sunday and uh, we'll definitely have a lot of thoughts to provide once the game hits double zeros. But uh, I think that's pretty much it for our conversation on the Arlington Renegades this week. We're expecting them to win, but we're not going to uh, assume too terribly much. Joe, where can the folks at home keep up with you between this episode and next week's episode? You can find me on Twitter at Joe Scanlon TV, and uh, I'll be tweeting a little bit about the XFL. Probably sit down and watch this game, so it'll be fun. As for me, I'll be on Twitter as well and some other social media handles at Zach the Voice, Z A C H the Voice. Going to be doing some high school baseball for the next couple of weekends, so I'll be on the headset, and then I'll be behind the scenes uh, over at Choctaw on Sunday. So be sure to keep up with all of those goings on just to see all the fun that we're having 
uh, as we get ready for the remainder of this XFL season. And a little bit of a spoiler alert, there may be a watch party in our future, depending on how things shake up, because we may actually get a chance to both of us watch a game in person in the not-too-distant future. So be be sure to stay tuned in for that and the whens and wheres of all that as uh, the season progresses. But that is going to do it for this edition of Renegades Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. For Joe, I'm Zach. Thanking you for tuning in and reminding you that in between episodes and anytime you step outside of the house, go out there and raise Raise some hell. hell.